0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of our B2B Startup Sales Podcast. Today, I'm really happy to welcome Daniel Kravchenko. Hello, Daniel. Glad to have you on our podcast today. Thanks, Patrick. Likewise. I'm really looking forward to the discussion Um, for our listeners. Daniel is currently responsible for the enterprise and uh, sales team for Austria and Switzerland for Zoom. Zoom, you probably all are very familiar with, as you probably are with Daniel's uh, CV in general. (laughs) Daniel, you have been working at all those companies we know uh, very Usually, large companies such as Microsoft, IBM, Gartner, SAP, and AWS three months ago joined Zoom. A very impressive CV, a lot of a lot of experience in the sales area. And I'm really looking forward to talk to you about like finding ICP with products that you think like everybody can use them. Like the companies you've been working with, you know, everybody is a customer. Of those. Companies in some ways. Um, so we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about uh, how to win and yeah, win large accounts. Also, what's the difference between selling to large and smaller accounts? How 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 you went about this and uh, how to farm, like tips and tricks on on farming that I'm also especially interested in because I consider myself not a very good farmer. Um, more, I'm more like a hunter. And yeah, I'm really happy to have you. Uh, On the call today, Daniel, I quickly hand over to you. Tell us how you actually got into sales at first. Um, That's that's interesting to know, and uh, yeah, a little bit about what you do right now. Yeah, thanks, Patrick.
1: Uh, It's a pleasure to be uh, on the show. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, I I had the pleasure to work for many many large customers uh, companies. Sorry, uh, with with a major focus on enterprise customers. to, To be quite frank. Um i also had the experience of um, working with smaller medium customers and and also startups in the past but the majority of the time that i was actually working in sales was in the area of coverage of enterprise customers mean um, there are many definitions of an enterprise customer um, but at the end we all we're all talking about the same the same big companies um, i'm living and working in Switzerland since 10 years now. Um, I'm originally Austrian, uh, born and raised in Vienna. And um, you mentioned it. So my my really first encounter with sales was with a company called IBM. And back then, that was during my studies. So I started uh, as an intern at IBM, uh, which was very, very, attractive chance for someone who is at the university Mm -hmm. to be quite frank i had no clue what sales is at that point in time i rarely had a clue what ibm was doing um, and i rarely had a clue what i'm going to do there so i just started there and the first thing they did was they put me into consulting so I was actually a junior consultant and I had a chance to, to meet a couple of customers and implement, helping to implement SAP solutions, um, which was one of the core business areas of IBM consulting back then and also now. Um, but I never liked it, to be honest. What I liked was the interaction with a customer. Mm-hmm. But, being a consultant was not the type of work I could imagine myself doing for a very long time. And then a friend of mine who also worked at IBM back then said, have you ever considered sales? And I said, well, I never thought of that. What what is What is the great thing about sales? And the answer was, well, so you get to know a lot of people. You get to talk to a lot of decision makers, if you're lucky. You get to help them solve their problems. And you can earn money with that on top. So I said, well, where can I start? And um, that was actually the, the story. So I then um, made an internal move. Um, I went from from consulting into sales. And I have to say, I was I was a bit lucky because I was... At the right time, at the right place. Back then, uh, in so this is like 15, 16 years ago, software was the major driver of the profit of IBM. So I thought, okay, let's go to the let's become sales, a salesman in the department that delivers the the biggest profit. So I and then knew no one in the software, in the software department. So I just you know started to talk to the people. And interact with them and um, try to to get some connections. And after a couple of months, I really saw that there was an opening, a job opening, and I applied. And I didn't get it first. Wow, so I didn't yeah. get it. Um, the, the 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 head of the software group back then didn't obviously didn't, didn't feel that I was the right person. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what then okay so i said i will not give up so i waited for for a little while but i stayed in touch with the people in the software department and i always asked if there is another opening a new opening so that is and that was a very very important lesson being persistent which is very important in sales um as well um and at one point in time they got a new manager so the person who ran the the department made a career move. There was a new person coming up and I immediately connected with him. Um, Then there was an opening and I used the second chance that I got. And that was the beginning of my sales
0: career. Wow, um, cla- I think classic trait from sales for salespeople that you just mentioned um, persistence. You didn't give up. You you kept kept going. I think that's also very important in sales. And also, what I find classic about your um, your career path or how you got into sales is almost no one at university in Europe, especially like Austria, Germany, and Switzerland. Nobody's like, I'm going to have a sales career. From university, yeah. you know, it happens so rarely. It's more like, yeah, I go to consulting these days. Uh, investment banking still, still high, and maybe Google and a- AWS, for instance. But nobody thinks, yes, who sells? I, I fully agree, um, and
1: I think this has several reasons. The first thing is, you the, you never learn in school or in university how to sell. There is no no such a subject. I mean, if you study economics, for example, you will learn about marketing, for sure. You will learn about supply chain. You will potentially learn about consulting. So I learned about consulting in my mm-hmm. university. We had an own an own course that was called consulting, and it was even a person from a large consulting company that came in and gave us the lectures. Um, so you could imagine what what it would be, at least imagine to work in such a profession in terms of sales uh, you don't have such a thing Um, and this is i believe also a cultural aspect that we have especially in in europe and especially in the german-speaking part of europe because the perception of a seller is not always the best if you compare it with the u.s um, sellers are always considered very outgoing people um, um, and, and in the us um, people would say proudly that they're in sales they would even say proudly that they earn a big paycheck this is not the case here mm-hmm. uh, we we tend to yeah i think we tend to have um, a bit of an yeah a bit of a different perception on sales it's sometimes considered and excuse me the wording of sometimes considered a, a dirty job sometimes considered you are you are the guy who sells the stuff that no one needs you overpromise. um of course it's not the case um but that's sometimes the perception that we face so no one in high school or or in at the university would come up with the idea my dream job is to become a seller although um, knowing how to sell is is essential if you try to run a business at one point in time someone needs to buy what you offer at one point in time you need to attract the the customer
0: to buy what you offer and that's the sales process such amazing points daniel fully agree and let's take that as a shout out to to all the listeners maybe who're not yet sure but to go into sales if we have any but uh, this, I, I, my perception is the sales profession is amazing because you can learn so much. You have these customer interactions, which are a lot of fun. Um, you, you have to become a good communicator. You have to learn what what a CEO needs. Right? It's a good start. Even if you want to become an entrepreneur, you want to become a CEO. They, sales is always needed. So I think. If you don't consider that yet as a career path, sales is amazing. Even though, as you said, in Europe um, the perception is still not as good as in the U.S. I mean, much much lower than in the U.S. As if, exactly as you described that fully fully on this. Now, mm-hmm. what I find interesting, you have been working for, as I said at the beginning, for large uh, companies like companies we you see as large companies, um and you still probably to the first topic the icp i mean all our user, our listeners they know the ideal customer profile it's very important to define it because then you can um, adjust your messaging and you you are way more successful uh, because for those you target you talk in their language and and they they are more perceptive to that how did you go about this like for a for aws or even ibm or or uh, in between sap um to define that to what companies you want to target even though you probably had the whole market for you i mean that's the that's one problem right you have to give up a certain part of the market in order to really target a, a market part where you think you can most efficiently sell right now i guess
1: yeah, yeah, f- fully agree. So there are there are certain layers or certain levels of of um, of of that of that um, perspective. Uh, I think the most the most, and, and I have to to say before before starting, I think this this the definition of the ICP might be potentially the hardest part in the journey. Um, with the most amount of work that you have to put in mm-hmm. and the most amount of research that you have to put in because at one point you just have to ask yourself the question whom are wh- whom do you like to sell what and what problem is your solution solving and i'm um, and, and now comes the different. Now comes the idea of the different layers. Because when we think about the problem that you would like to solve with your service or your solution, there are many layers. One is okay. What is this solving for the the company that you're selling to? Okay. Then one level down is what is this solving in terms of problem solving to the department you are selling to. And then how is this going to help the individual person, the decision-maker, the stakeholder, the user, whoever, the person who is going to use it, the person who's going to actually pay for it, how is this going to solve his problem? And and this is a huge amount of work, (laughs) I can tell you, okay? So especially if you don't have any access to these customers. Um, it is much, much easier if you have already access to those customers. And we'll talk about that later, I guess, when we talk about the farming part. Um, but first and foremost, you need to define... And you need to go through those layers. So first is define the industry. Is there a specific problem that you try to solve for a specific industry? Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's take an example you might have developed a great solution a saas solution that solves a major issue in the financial services industry yeah and of course your your target market are potentially all companies in the area of financial services so all banks all insurances then you have to go one layer down and say okay are we going to are we going to solve a problem for the it department are we going to solve a problem for the accounting department, for finance department? Are we going to solve a problem for the core business, for department in the core business of this company? And then, last but not least, you will always face a human being on the other side of the table that mm-hmm. will look into your eye and say, "Okay, how this is? How is this going to help me?" and you need to understand the agenda of this person and how you're going to to solve the issue that this person has in detail how do you go, how are you going to do that i mean it, it all starts when we start with the industry it all starts with with a lot of research with data that you get in the market which is partially free partially not um, but at the end of the day uh, i would say you will get 80% of the data that you need you will get you will find it somewhere Mm-hmm. um for free um you can talk to uh, you can talk to um to other companies you can talk you can make simple uh internet research um you can talk to associations um you can talk to state departments so there there is a lot of data out there there is more data out there today than it has ever been um and sometimes you will have to pay for it um and then you just purchase research, uh, you purchase access to data. Uh, it depends on how deep you go. You want to go. Um, that's the easiest part because that's what you can do basically behind your desk. Um, when it comes to the department, uh, the, the issue that the department says, that's where it actually starts to interact, with an interaction between you and the customer because you need to find the right department, you need to find then at the next step, the right people in the department, and you need to gather information firsthand. Mm -hmm. You can partially get information out of research as well here. Um, I always recommend read the financial statement of the company you try to sell to um you 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 will be um, you would be amazed how many how many interesting details you can get out of that uh, really? read the the quarterly the quarterly uh statements that if if it's i mean if it's a publicly traded company you can just get it from the website um so read that um you will be a- amazed how many information you will get it out of they actually usually state their major um projects their major issues in these documents. So I got a lot out of it by just reading just reading the the earnings, the earnings release
0: uh press releases and the statements. Um and then do you um, have an example Daniel that's something that you remember that you got out of these statements? Yes, yes. Um, um I once tried to uh, to get
1: access to a bank in Switzerland. Um mm-hmm. This bank had never never bought anything from my former company. Um, so what I did was um, I just downloaded the PDF from the website, and I saw that actually there was an an own section of um, of IT projects that they mentioned, where they said um, we're going to implement a new banking solution. We try to to achieve a specific amount of productivity increase and we even you even saw the budget that they plan to spend on it um and with that and and i then i realized that i actually what what i can offer is something that would add an extra level of optimization to this project and also in this in this uh, document i could find a a huge amount of names. Um, So I started to connect with them and I simply used two tools. I used LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Back then, LinkedIn wasn't that popular, which had his his advantages and disadvantages. Uh, The advantage was that if you could find someone on LinkedIn uh, at that time, um, you could easily connect with the person. Because the person was not overwhelmed mm-hmm. at that point in time with requests, it's completely different today. Um, the other thing I did was I'm a huge fan of cold calling. I think cold calling is still today the most effective way to approach an individual. Um, that doesn't mean it is the most effective way if you wanna reach to as many customers as possible that's definitely not the case so if we talk about you try to reach all small and medium businesses in switzerland and we have more than ten thousand here you cannot call each and every one it's impossible it will not scale so you need different mechanisms and linkedin is a good vehicle to do that but if you try to focus on a specific industry in Switzerland, for example, or a specific industry in Germany, specific industry in in Europe, um, and you def- you narrow it down, um, then you can you will end up with a list of maybe a couple of hundred potential customers that might be interested in what you have. And those and this is a decent amount, okay? This is a good this is a good target list, as we would say in sales. And and, and this can and this can can you can really use that for daily cold calls, I would say. Um, so what I did was I created such a list as simple spreadsheet, name of the customer, name of the department, name of the person, the people I really wanted to talk to. Um, I try to find every sort of contact details I could find. Sometimes you you're um, you're successful, sometimes not. And now the question is: Let's assume you want to talk to the CFO. By the way, I always aim to go as high as possible because those people have the money. It's very simple. At the end of the day, if 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 you want to sell something for a high price, um, someone needs to sign it. Um, and it's it's very different from company to company, no question. But the higher you go, the better. Worst thing that can happen is that you reach out to the CEO. The CEO might read your message or pick up the phone and says, um, says Patrick, thank you for calling me. I don't think I'm the right person. But by the way, please talk to this person. Uh, I will send an email and introduce you. That's the best thing that can happen to you, uh, an internal referral from a C-level. Um, because that forces the, that forces the person who 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 is introduced to you to at least talk to you once. Um, so, and then let's go back to the call. So I'm, I'm I'm jumping around a little bit. I hope that's fine.
0: Yeah, I'm um, I'm already a big fan of you, Daniel. Because no, I'm, also, I'm also a huge cold calling <laughs> fan and advocating a little bit on this topic on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I I love that you. Or in that topic too. So I, I mean, you open new topics that we could talk about. Just one thing about cold calling that I find interesting, and you might have a good approach for the listeners because I find m- many people struggle with this. How did you get to when you say CFO? How did you get to the level, even like through the, the that, gatekeeper? The gatekeeper, yes. Thank you. Ah,
1: oh, <laughs> um, I'll I'll um, share with you some of my tricks. Okay. So you need some sort of direct access in terms of either a phone number, in best case, a phone number or a mobile phone number. If you have the mobile phone number, then it's like a jackpot, but you need to be very responsible. Uh, so you need to, this is a hu- huge responsibility that you have, okay? Because what happens is if if you misuse the fact that you have the the, the mobile phone of someone, uh, he might never talk to you again. Um, so be very responsible. So let's assume you have the the, the fixed line. Uh, which is also a very interesting topic nowadays because we're all sitting in the home office. Um, so, But let's assume you have the fixed line number, and you call there, and you would end, potentially end up with what we said, the gatekeeper. And gatekeepers are trained to not let you through. That's, that's their main job when they pick up the phone. You cannot just come there and say, hi, I'm Daniel. I want to talk to your boss. Because we have something that is so great, he would love it. Huh? This is not going to work. Um, Sometimes it works. What usually works is the following. Um, Try to call at day times that are not usual. So if you try to call between 8 and 5 or 6 in the the afternoon, you will end up with a gatekeeper. But you know that top c-level executives usually start very early in the morning and they end up very late so why don't you try to call this number at seven o'clock worst thing that can happen is that no one picks up best thing is gatekeeper is not here yet so c-level executive picks up himself and then you have him same is with emails by the way so send it either very early in the morning so they have it the first thing. When they open their 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 mailbox, or send it very late at night when they might still work, and they just see your email popping up, so that's that's one uh, one uh, yeah one trick that you can use. The, s- the second is just be very honest and say, "Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm your new account executive." I'm your new seller from this and that company. Yeah, my predecessor left. He didn't make a proper introduction. I would love to have ten minutes with your boss, with this, with you, whoever, um, to just properly introduce myself. And always insist on a personal meeting, face to face. Today it's a bit tougher, of course. Um, I we all hope that things are will get will get better soon but back in the days i always insisted on a personal meeting no matter how long it was if it was just 10 15 minutes and if it took me 1 hour to get there i took wow. the chance every f- physical meeting is a chance yeah because first of all it gives a very different impression than just on a phone or a video and second is um, It's a commitment from the customer if he agrees to meet you. If he doesn't agree to meet you, you know, there is no commitment. There might not be an interest. I always saw that as a sort of commitment from the customer that because he spends time with you. It's not you spend time with him Um, because you're a sales. It's your job to spend time with customers. It's not his job to spend time with sellers
0: i like it so you most of the time i guess daniel you had already the customer they were already buying somehow from the company we're working with there was uh, probably very often ro- no real connection to the sea level and you used that approach to, to get sea level um facetime basically yeah and i
1: think that's 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 the beauty of working for a large company you know, with a large brand and I have to admit that's most of the time a big advantage. Now, I understand that a lot of people who are also listening to us do not have the luxury of having a global, well-known brand you know, because they are entrepreneurs, yeah. they are running startups. So the question is, how can you, what can you do when you don't have a brand like SAP or Amazon behind you? Um, which is, by the way, not always an advantage. Uh, it really depends, uh, but most of the time, at least someone from the customer will listen to you. Um, so, what can you do in order to make your brand attractive, make your solution attractive? And now, it, and this is, I think, this is the key question that the audience is asking themselves. Um, and there are many, many different ways to solve that, and and a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs had solved that in the past, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah great insight daniel um so i guess we are or i dive into the you know big versus uh, small accounts gaining big uh, winning big and small accounts because one of the differences i just i think we already filtered out basically for big accounts for instance you really have to do everything to get in you know when you have an account that you can Earn millions in in annual recurring revenue, then you have to, and you have to pick up the phone. You have to try to get C-level attention. You have to get a recommendation from C-level down, if if possible and I- ideal. Um, and with small accounts, when it comes to to that, like as a hunter, for instance, you you have to automate as much as possible. If you if you have an account that you can win like ten thousand a year. Probably you won't do all the, the, you can do that as well. But I think um, at some point you have to get rid of the distinction between SDR and AE because it's just not worth to have two people on an account that only you can win 10,000 a year. Right. So that's, I guess, a major difference, especially when it comes to winning those accounts. What are other differences that you're thinking about? No, I fully agree.
1: So let's narrow it down. I mean, what is the difference between a large account, um, a global international customer, and a classic Kaimu, how we would say in German, okay? SMB customer, No. Yeah? Um, the first thing is the, the potential. It's, and by the way, it's not always the case, okay? There are a lot of SMB customers who have a big, big budget and they can spend, but let's say in nine out of 10, Cases you will find a customer who will not spend as much as the enterprise customer because they don't have the budget. Um, the second, yeah, the second thing is, um, and that's a positive thing is the amount of stakeholders is is smaller um, that you need to cover uh, in in huge corporations with uh, hundred thousand and more employees. You will always find someone, um, and it might be harder to find a decision maker that might not be so hard with an SMB. Um, and on the other side, the average deal size is lower, as we said, that comes get goes together with the fact that the budget is lower, but also the needs might not be that big. So you have on one side a customer that is huge, that can spend a lot. And then, as you said, you need to, to go in, spend a lot of time with the customer, build relationship, find, find the right people, um, and then uh, get to the signature. With, a, with an SMB, it's different. When the deal size is smaller and you have much, much more of those SMBs, like in Switzerland, more than 10,000, mm-hmm. um, you need to scale somehow. If you're just one or two pe- people, one person or two people, it's you cannot call all of them and you cannot build a relationship as deep as with an enterprise. Um, so as you said, you need to automate and the good thing is that that you have more you have more choice you have simply more potential customers if you for example have only um two big pharmaceutical companies that you're covering in switzerland you mess up with one of them uh, you lose 50 percent of your potential Um, but with with when you focus on specific smbs and you lose one of them the simple answer is, okay, uh, let's take our learnings and go to the next. And that's and that's the beauty of being a hunter. And that's also a very important skill that you have to develop to accept the no and move on. And not a lot of people have that. Um, I see that a lot. I've hired a lot of salespeople in, in my career. And of course I had the pleasure to learn from a lot of very good salespeople in the past. And one of their major criteria of successful sellers, especially hunters, is that they when they get a no, they first of all learn from it. Now, there is this famous phrase never take no for an answer, but let's let's be serious. You can't win them all. Okay. I, I'm not a huge fan of this of this phrase. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, you can't win them all. Um, there is good competition in the market, um, there is simply
0: sometimes no need, okay? I think the biggest problem, just, as, and just to insert here, um, I think the biggest problem with you can't accept for a no is when salespeople really think that and believe that all the time, they hunt companies that nothing is going to happen, you know, they don't invest the time where the time needs to be invested. That's a little bit the problem I have with the sentence, I guess i I absolutely agree and
1: and it's also a very important skill to to especially when you target uh, small and medium co- companies, that you invest your time wisely. If you just cover two big two big companies, two big accounts, there you have to spend your time with them. that's it yeah, yeah. if you have if you have a, lots of lots of different smaller companies. You don't have the luxury to say, okay, I will invest now more time into this, even though I just got a no. So you have to to be, first of all, um, know when it's time to, to leave, but doesn't mean by the way that you can't come back after a while, okay? Yes. Just for now, you just leave it. Um, and the second thing is you need to find channels, different channels. Uh, LinkedIn is definitely one of them, but you need to find channels you can spread your message as wide and as fast and as efficient as possible um and the phone is definitely not the right tool for to do that um i wouldn't even say that dedicated emails are the right tool to do that Mm -hmm. i'm also not a huge fan of mass emailing to be honest but um if if you want to reach out to as many customers as possible, you gotta you gotta come up with some creative ideas. And that can mean that, can mean that you you organize, for example, an event and you invite customers through LinkedIn. Now, okay, customer gets ten thousand invitations through LinkedIn from people he doesn't know and doesn't care about. So you need to find a way to differentiate yourself here. Uh, same is with mass email campaigns, and nowadays it's even harder because of uh, the DSGVO, so the Datenschutzgesetzverordnung um, mm-hmm. in in the European Union. Um, the interesting thing is that mo- all of the companies that I know actually also apply that to Switzerland, even though Switzerland is not part of the EU. So you have to to comply to this here in Switzerland as well. Yeah, um, and you have to. You have to use that. You have to, you cannot just pick up the phone and call someone who doesn't want to be called. It's very simple. It has very, a lo- those are a lot of disadvantages for us for a seller, right? So, because now you, 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 um, um, you, you might run into issues, into legal issues if you just call someone. Um, so those are the big, big changes here, but you got to find ways to um to spread the message in the most efficient way and differentiate yourself with with that Um, organizing a webinar today does not differentiate you from anyone Um, but if you find ways to make this webinar special interesting maybe you have an interesting speaker maybe you have an interesting topic you narrow it down to a pain point where you know that your target customer has this pain because you made your research, because you talk to customers, then you might attract maybe not as many people or as many customers as you want, but you might attract the right ones. I was once asked, would you rather have um, an online event with 500 participants? Um and we spread it as wide as possible and we, we open it up for, for every level uh, from every company and just everyone who wants to join, joins. Uh, or would you like to have an, a dedicated topic with a dedicated speaker on a dedicated problem and you might have only 15 participants? I would always take the 15 because those are the ones who are really interested in what this is all about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm?
1: Yeah. So don't get confused, that's for the audience, don't get confused if you don't attract as many people as you would love to, try to attract the right
0: ones. To the data protection um, that you were talking about, what I can add to this is... Something that you also mentioned earlier with calling, um, like be honest and empathetic, especially when, when you're using automated emails still or, or using cold calling, as we have been in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland the past two years. Um, I think it's just very important to always react empathetically when somebody says, take me off the list, or, or never call me again, or never whatever. Just be empathetic, say, hey, yeah, I'm sorry, and whatever. Nothing's going to happen, because we were talking legal and compliance hats in the dach region <laughs> and if somebody knows about what's you know what what the current law means um, and what's allowed or not they are the people who know and nobody ever um, told us anything like don't uh, i'm going to i'm going to go to court or something so um maybe once like per email but then we empathetically said hey we're sorry um we're never going to do it again. We take you off the database. And if you react this way, I think you can avoid quite a lot. And it's still still OK. But you were talking also, Daniel, about other ways, innovative ways that we should think of. What are strategies you use now to get in contact with new potential customers now that you're at Zoom and you have a lot of potential, I guess, in Europe? Um, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the... Um... What what I, I try to use, I mean, the fact that the last year was very, very strange year, of course, and a tough year for many, many businesses. And what I believe is we used the digital tools to, to get in touch with customers like webinars and um, online events are so overused. I mean, mm-hmm. there is if if you would go online now and just Google for I don't know an online event for any topic in the IT industry, you will find something. Okay, you will find a, an event, a webinar, a record recording of something, a podcast that would basically cover the same the topic you're looking for. Um, so what I try to do is combine this with the more traditional ways okay like try to meet the customers in person now talking about smbs you cannot you cannot meet everyone in person but you can go to uh to to trade fairs you can go to associations you can um simply as an as an um you can be part of of uh, of a I mean in Switzerland we have lots of startup associations, okay? Just be there, yeah. Be be there and encourage yourself and the people you're working with to, to be proactive there. And make and you can be sure that the people you're going to meet at those events or at those exchanges um, are really interested in in startups or in entrepreneurs. So trying to combine this. Um, it it goes a little bit back to the classic sales sales methodologies that we used to have 10 years ago right um be present try to try to find interesting ways to to promote yourself online Mm -hmm. use social media Mm -hmm. Uh, the power of social media is my perspective still still um is, is still not used enough by a lot of startups and entrepreneurs today except linkedin everyone's on linkedin okay let's send each other a message okay on linkedin that's that's the classic thing but there are other ways other social media platforms that you can use to promote yourself with almost no costs and do the basics do the basics search engine optimization okay Don't forget about those things. Don't forget about the simple things. Make sure that you can be found if someone is looking for you. And I think if you combine all of these things with a lot of effort, of course, um, and you find a way to differentiate yourself through your message, through your solution, that gives you a good position in terms of potential
0: interaction with, with your buyers. Yeah, that's a great tip to end this, uh, Daniel. Um, just to add something to that as well, for people to imagine what's the what the reach could be. Uh, I posted a, a LinkedIn post last week. Um, so LinkedIn posts are something that is for free, as you mentioned. And you can reach a lot of people. I posted something about cold calling. Took me two minutes, actually, to post it. And it got 1,100 likes, something Over like there, um, 300 comments, and I think 130,000 people saw it. And that also, um, a lot of people went went to the company and were looking at the company page. And if we'd sell something for salespeople, that would be awesome. It was like 1,000 people on the company page of ours. So, uh, you know, generate thousands of viewers within a week just posting for two minutes uh, for a post. So that's the, that's the, that's the, I think ever everybody could could do that and everybody could could achieve that yeah. I have no special ability whatsoever in writing or anything like it but just act and and do something and, and that's a way and and I like this as a and,
1: and by the way I liked your post as
0: well I saw it um
1: and I gave it a like and I think I gave it also a comment and now you I mean you see the it's so underestimated the power of social media and I'm also not a not a social media pro But there are many, many pros um, that you can find where you can get advice of. And in terms of social media, my my only advice is take it serious. So create content on a professional way. Learn from the best. It is for free, as you said, mostly. uh, And you can get a lot of reach just by following some simple rules that you can find easily by doing the right research. And it all starts. I mean, it all starts with um, have a complete profile. Okay, the the basics. Have have a profile picture. um, uh, Have a headline. Stuff like that. Okay. Um, And and then from there, from there, then you can professionalize yourself. And it's all it's all about the content and growing your audience. Yeah.
0: Great stuff. Thanks thanks for the comment and the like, uh, Daniel. Uh, and thanks a lot for this great discussion. We already have like 45 minutes passed, and uh, so quickly. It was yeah. incredibly interesting, to be honest. I think very, very valuable for our listeners. Let's hope, uh, or, or else give us some feedback. But this, I, I learned also one or two things out of this discussion, as always, and that's that's the great thing about doing a podcast. For those who are thinking about it, thanks a lot for coming, Daniel. Um, great it was really great having you here. Likewise,
1: and for all the listeners who would like to have a deeper conversation and exchange, there I'm very happy to connect through the the usual the usual uh, social media platforms, um, LinkedIn, Twitter just uh, drop me a note and we can have a discussion um on that as well cool and write... thanks for having me patrick
0: <laughs> yeah you're welcome i write your your name on the episode i think the the last name is not that easy to know when i just say daniel kravchenko i hope i even spelled it correctly perfect, perfect. Uh, um, not easy to write but i will put it in the episode so that people can find you on linkedin and uh, f- further discuss things I'm, I'm certainly think i will do that daniel Keep in touch and uh, talk to you soon.